welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Amen, amen, and amen. Welcome again to Epiphany Fellowship Church. We're so glad that you decided to join us and worship with us this Sunday morning. So glad that you are here, praying that you are doing well in your homes, that your families are doing well uh, as well. Uh, and so now is the time for us to jump in to God's word, amen? So why don't you, uh, if you have it with you, grab your Bible or your phone and open up your app and join me in Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32 as we take a look at the word of God this morning, Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 uh, through 14. I'm going to read it for your hearing, uh, and then we're going to dive on in to this text. Uh, here, here's the word of the Lord. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and they said to him, come, make gods for us who will go before us because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And Aaron replied to them, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And so all the people took off the gold that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into an image of a calf. And then they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and made an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. And early the next morning, they arose and offered burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and they got up to party. And the Lord God spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned from the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves an image of a calf and they have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it and said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people and they are indeed a stiff necked people. Now leave me alone so that I can burn my anger against them and I can destroy them and then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Lord, why does your anger burn against your people you brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and a strong hand? Why should the Egyptians say he brought them out with an evil intent to kill them in the mountains and eliminate them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger and relent concerning this disaster plan for your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You swore to them by yourself and declared, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and will give your offspring all of this land that I have promised and they will inherit it forever. So the Lord relented concerning the disaster he had said he would bring upon his people. As we continue on in our undefeated series this morning, I just want to bring to you the text, if it had not been for the name. If it had not been for the name. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are grateful and thankful that we get the privilege, the opportunity to open your sacred word. 
that we get to dive into the, the, the history and the testimony left about you and your people and the things that we can learn, the things that we learn about ourselves, the things that we learn about you and, and what you require of us. God, would you speak to us today from your word so that our hearts might be renewed, our minds might be transformed, and we might uh, grow closer and closer to the goal of being made mature in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that you will speak to us by your word today. Give me uh, the power that makes preaching easy. Oh, God, I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If it had not been for the name. You know, I may make a, a, a few people angry with what I'm about to say, but I, I've always held uh, a disdain for Beyonce. I, I know. I know. She, she's an incredible artist. Uh, you know, she, her work ethic is uh, excellence bar none. Um, but I've never really been a Beyonce fan, right? And, and I think it probably stems from some of the drama from Destiny's Child back in the day. Maybe I'm petty. You can call me that if you want to. Um, but, but there's one in particular song uh, that, that Beyonce has uh, that, that always, for some reason, gets stuck in my mind. And it's the song called Irreplaceable. If you're not familiar with you, uh, for, uh, familiar with it, I'll, I'll, I'll sing with you. I'll let you know the chorus. I'm not going to sing it, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you the chorus. It, she, she, says, she says, you must not know about me. You must not know about me. I could have another you in a minute. Matter of fact, here be here any minute. Baby, you must not know about me. You must not know about me. I can have another you by tomorrow. So don't you ever for a second get to thinking you're irreplaceable. Man, I, I, I tell you, that, that's some good preaching right there. Every once in a while, I, I, I want to feel that about myself. I want to feel like that, that, that I am so worth it. That, that I am so, that I just have it so much together. You know, sometimes I, you know, baby, baby, I'm sorry for saying this, but sometimes I feel like, you know, that, that, that my wife should feel like I'm irreplaceable. You know, like, like she can't get away from me. And, and I, and, and, and I'm so good that she needs to hold on to me. And it's very selfish. I know it's prideful. I know. And, and the Lord is still dealing with me on it. But, but, but sometimes, uh, we have a tendency to think so highly of ourselves that it's easy for us to move on in relationships from other people because we want them to know that you're easily replaceable, right? Don't, don't we also do that with God? That, that, that there are times in our lives when, when we don't get what we, what we want from God. We have a tendency sometimes to think or to treat God like he's lucky to have us. It's, it's, it's interesting, this dynamic that's taking place, this, the relational, uh, interpersonal relationships that are taking place between God and Moses and the people as we come to Exodus chapter 32. Because the people, the people have just gone from a, a spiritual high to idolatry, a spiritual low. Like, ha have you ever experienced such a spiritual high where the communion with God was just so overwhelming and it was so fruitful and you were just, you just wanted to bask in his presence. Like you felt like, like you had never spent time with God, like you were spending time with God in that moment only to be disappointed a short time later by how far you had gone from him. Well, Israel is not un 
uh, unfamiliar with that type of relationship. And in chapter 20, God gives the law to his people and he's setting forth for them the expectation of how they are to live because uh, he tells us in Leviticus that there were some things that you learned in Egypt and there's some things that you're going to see happening in Canaan and I have to detox you because that's not how my people are to live. That's not the expectation of obedience that my people are to have. They are supposed to be wholly devoted uh, to me. And so so God is giving the people his law. And at the end of this or in the middle of this, the, the people come near to God and, and, and God actually makes a covenant with them in chapter 24. God establishes his covenant with the people and they are just in the presence of God during this entire time. And it's so much for them that they say, well, Moses, can you can you kind of mediate for us? Can you go and talk to him and then come back and talk to us? Listen, we will do whatever God tells us to do. But his presence is so overwhelming. We, we need you to talk to him. So Moses go ahead up on the mountain and he's spending time with God. And as God is uh, communicating to Moses his word and, and, and is preparing Moses to bring this word down to the people so that they can know how to live and how to please God. And, and, and they're clear on what the expectations are of this covenant that they have made of God being their only God and them worshiping him only as Moses is on the mountain with God doing that. Can you believe what we find the people of Israel doing? Look with me at, 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 uh, at, at, at verse one. It says, it says, when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, said to him, come, make gods for us who will go before us because Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Now, now there, there's a couple things we got to know. One is that Israel, uh, Israel as a people, they were still just living in Egypt just a few months ago. And so they, they hadn't yet gotten adjusted to the anti-idolatrous, religious, uh, rigorous demands of obedience to Yahweh. They hadn't let yet adjust, fully adjusted their behavior uh, because, uh, remember, they've been slaves in Egypt for a long, long time. Their ancestors have been slaves in Egypt for a long, long time. And so they were uh, part of a people who were always around pagan practices. And so now they come from out of Egypt. God has given them their law. And there's an expectation for them to throw away what they have learned and grow accustomed to this new operating system that God is downloading on to them. And, 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 and this was just a few months ago. And, and, and we find Israel here in part because the, the idolatrous pool, the, 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 um, the temptation of idolatry is so strong in them. And their commitment and allegiance to God is so fragile because of how new it is that they, they, they haven't even become genuinely committed to fully eradicating their practices of idolatry that had, they had picked up in Egypt. Not to mention that, that as they were, once they were free from Egypt and as they're traveling, there comes a time in, in, in Exodus chapter 17 where the Amalekites attack them and they have to go to war. And Joshua leads the people out to war and, and Moses is, is standing on the mountain or, or uh, to the valley looking down and he's holding up his staff and he has to have two people hold his arms up for him because when his arms are raised, the, the, they, they succeed in battle. When his arms dip down, they, uh, they be, become overwhelmed and so they win against the Amalekites. But remember, this people is not a people 
who is accustomed to having to fight wars, right? And so some of their troubles, some of their concerns are genuine. And, and even more so, like, uh, for, for, like if we can think about the fact that they were, uh, they were more inclined towards idolatry because of the history of their religious practices. If we can think about the fear of being alone in the wilderness, uh, given uh, how the Amalekites uh, surprise attacked them not too long ago. And then if we could add on top of that, the fact that their leader, their spiritual advisor, their mediator was nowhere to be found, wouldn't you be a little bit desperate too? And yet all that being said, faithful obedience and unwavering devotion to the Lord was still the expectation. That, that, that brings me to, to, to my first point, to my, 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 my first of, of two points and then I'm out your way. Discomfort always, listen to me, discomfort always tempts us to create cheap substitutes. Verse, verse, verse one, in a lot of ways, describes the danger of an impatient heart. Because really what we see happening with, with the Israelites is, is Moses has been up on the mountain. If we read back into verse 24, we, we, we see that Moses ends up being on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And so he's been gone for over a month without any word whatsoever about where he is, what he's doing, or whether or not he's even alive. And so worry begins to set in. Impatience begins to set in. What do you do? when you get impatient with God? What, what are some of the things that you run to? What, what kind of ideas do you come up with to solve your impatience issues? That's, that's what we're talking about in verse one here. As the Israels are, are unsure of what to do, where to go, who their leader is, and, and, and what happens next, they begin to come up with an idea of how they can satisfy themselves to feel the presence of God without God. And so, and so, and so, so they say, they say, come, come, make, make us some gods who will go before us. And, and in suggesting that Aaron make them gods, they're not asking for gods to necessarily replace Yahweh. But what they're asking for is a visible, tangible object to follow uh, that they could feel like God's presence was there. Because for all they know, Moses is dead. And so for them, they say, well, if, if Moses, our leader, is dead, and he's the one who mediates for us, then we have to create another mediator that makes us feel good about the presence of God, even though that mediator has nothing to do with God at all. They, they, they wanted to feel like God was with them. Even though in their idolatry, God wasn't with them. They wanted to feel the feeling of God being with them for them was greater than God's presence actually being with them. Like, can I say this? Can I, can, I, can, I, can I say this and be completely honest with us today, this morning? Trying to manufacture the presence of God will always lead you to something less fulfilling than, the, than his authentic presence. You can't manufacture the presence of God. All you tend to do, all you end up doing, the end result of a manufactured presence of God is a false peace that will fall from underneath you at any moment. 
But, but, but look what they say. So, so they, they say, Aaron, make, make, us, make us some gods so that we can feel good about God's presence, even though he's not here. Uh, let's just assume that he's here. And this, this calf could be the visible or this whatever God comes out could be the visible representation of Yahweh for us. And so Aaron goes to the people and says, all right, well, give me the gold earrings from your children and your wives and your daughters. And he he takes the uh, the gold uh, that he, that has been given and he melts it down and and he uses an engraving tool and begins to fashion it. Uh, and, and what comes out is a calf. And 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 many scholars tend to think that the calf would have most likely been a, a piece of wood that was carved or shaped into a calf or a bull. And, and then the gold would have been then laid on top of it and molded over the shape of the bull to now be a, a, a golden uh, calf. But, 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 but once Aaron is done, the people say, these are your gods that you have chosen. These are the gods who have brought you up from the land of, of Egypt. Now, 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 what's interesting that is, is that, that even if Israel didn't think that the calf or this bull, this golden image, this, this idol, even if it wasn't replacing God, uh, but was supposed to be representative of God, it's, it's clear that no matter what they thought, they had already violated the first and second commandment. It, it wasn't that long ago that God had met with the people and laid out for him, the, 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 for them, the Ten Commandments. That's just back in chapter 20, not, not too long ago. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment, you shall not make any images and you shall, you shall not worship them or bow down to them. And yet here in verse four, we see that their response to the anxiousness, we see their response to the desperation, we see their response to the impatience is not to wait on the Lord, but to create for them a suitable God that meets their desires. See, God had already chosen his way of personal manifestation in the past to his people. He, had, he, he showed up by fire. At night and, and, and a, a pillar of smoke by the day as he led them, he showed up as an overpowering voice which rumbled in their ears. And, and yet and, and yet this this present God who has shown up that they've seen his presence at work and they've seen his presence leading them. Yet yet the people's choice of this deaf, dumb and blind idol who could do none of the things that the living God could do was just a rejection of how God had already decided to make his presence known. That, man, that, that, should, that should really cause us to ask some questions of ourselves. Are, are we satisfied with how God has decided to make his presence known? Is, is God's presence through his word, enough for you? Is God's presence through his people enough for you? Is God's presence through open doors enough for you? Is God's presence through closed doors enough for you? What is not enough about God's presence that you feel like you have to manufacture on your own? So the people, they make this idol and then Aaron declares there's gonna be a festival tomorrow, we're gonna celebrate. 
we're going to have a party and we're going to have the same type of party that we had when God made the covenant with us back in chapter 24. All we're going to do is we're, we're going to mimic that type of party. We're going to have the same party, except instead of it being to the living God, the Lord Yahweh, uh, we are going to do this type of party to this festival, this celebration to the calf. And so uh, the, the, the Bible says that early the next morning they arose, they offered burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings or peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Now, what's, what's interesting is that the, the Hebrew verb for party can be translated as to play or to caress. It's, it's the same verb that's used in Genesis chapter 26, verse 8, uh, that talks about how, uh, uh, or, or uh, covers the story when Isaac lied about Rebecca being his uh, sister when she was actually his wife and how Abimelech had looked out and saw them playing or caressing and gives it to itself or lends itself to, to being suggestive of sexual activities. Now, now this, this could be that. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's, it's a guarantee, but it wouldn't have been outside of the norm because of their familiarity and engagement with pagan culture to, to have turned this drunken, uh, to have turned this celebration into a drunken sex orgy because it wasn't uncommon. And so what, what they were doing is, is you, you got to understand this people of God. You got to understand this because it's 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 clear that they they were not nest, they were not fully throwing away God and his laws and his word. What God had communicated to them in Exodus chapter 20 and chapter 21, chapter 22, chapter 23, chapter 24, chapter 25. From 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 chapter 20 uh, up until now, God was communicating his word to them. And, and they were not fully throwing out the baby with the bathwater because Moses hasn't shown up. But guess what they were doing? They were beginning to add little practices here and there that they had picked up along the way. They were beginning to add little pagan sacrifices and pagan idol worship and pagan drunkenness and pagan sexual activity and pagan singing and, and, and dancing. And, and so for them, it says, well, well, it's, it's okay for us to have our God, to have Jesus and to have his word, and then add a little bit of the stuff that we like from everywhere else. You, you, know, what, you, you know what they call, they, it's, it's just a fancy word called syncretism. But, but if I could break it down to you, all it is, it's a spiritual buffet. You know, you, 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 you know I, I used to love buffets. You can probably tell from my, from my physique, I'm working on it. Bless God, hallelujah, amen. But, 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 but I used to love buffets because of the variety. You know, you, you walk into a buffet and they just, they got the stations lined up and on every station there's, there's numerous choices that you can choose from. And I, and I love the freedom of having options. But you know, you, you know what I hate about buffets now? Now that my, not only my taste palate has changed and I'm a little bit more bougie in, in the food that I eat, but looking back on it, you, you, like, like I, I don't like the idea of just everybody being able to take whatever they want from the pot and throwing it all together. There's just something unsanitary about that. And, 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 and it, it, it brings about this idea. You, you know, we, because we like, we, like, we like fried chicken and we like corn on the cob 
and we like collard greens. And, and even though your doctor told you that none of that stuff is good for you and you need to stick with salad, you start saying, well, I know I'm supposed to have salad. Salad's good for me in the long run. But it's okay if I add a little bit of fried chicken to it. It's okay if, if, it's okay if I get a little bit of that mac and cheese. It's okay if I get a little bit of, of the collard greens and the, and the candied yams. And, 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 and what we do is we take Christianity. We like the idea of God. We like the idea of Jesus who dies for us on the cross, but only if we can add some of the things from the world. Not only if we can add uh, burning the sage to, to cleanse the air from the demonic spirits. Only if we can, if we can add some of the sacrificing uh, to goats. See, see, some of my foreign people know about that and they still practice some of that sacrifice. Only if we can add some of the ancestral prayers that we do so we can feel more connected to Africa even though we've never been there. Is, is, is that all? Oh, Jesus is good for me as long as I can add all the other stuff. This is where the people, this is syncretism ain't new. Wanting to add a bunch of stuff to Jesus ain't new. They, they've been, we've been doing that since the beginning. So the question on the floor, just like it was on the floor for Israel, is when will God be enough for you? But, but look at God's response. I, I love God's response because, I, I, you know, this is how I know I'm godly in my response when I'm at home sometimes. It's because I, I see myself in how God responded. Look what God says in verse 7. He says, the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once. Listen to what he says. He says, for your people that you brought up from the land of Egypt. Ain't that something that God says? God says, Moses, go get your people. That's what I do with my kids. When they start acting crazy, when they do something crazy, like I disown them immediately. Babe, look what your kids did. Them your kids. Soon as, when they do something great, guess what? They my kids. But if they do something crazy, they my wife's kids, right? This, this is what God, God is like. God's like, Moses, go get your people because they tripping right now. And, and I'm, about to, I'm, I'm, I'm about to come down hard on them. And he says, he says, and so he, God knows what's going on. Cause remember him and Moses up on the mountain, God knows what's going on as he's communing with Moses. Moses is unaware, but God knows. And so God has to fill Moses in on what's going. Moses, hurry up and get down there because they have acted corruptly. And look how quickly they've turned away from my commands. Look, look God even describes it. He says, he says, just yesterday, just the other day, they were saying, God, I will do anything that you tell us to do. God, if you get me out of this situation, I'm never going to smoke again. I'm never going to drink again. I'm going to stop doing one night stands. We make all of these declarations to God. And guess what God says? He says, how quickly they've turned away from what I've commanded them. He said, they've made for themselves an image a calf, of a calf. They've sacrificed to it. And then they've declared, Israel, these are your gods. They are now assigning uh, the, the, the glory of the powerful works that I did in Egypt to these idols that can't even talk, can't even hear, and, and can't even see. Then he says, I, I, I've seen the stiff-necked people. They are indeed a stiff-necked people. I, I, I like this word, stiff-necked, because it, it describes somebody who is stubborn and unwilling to respond to correction. It's, it, it's, it's, it's the, it, it, you know, from an agricultural society, it, it, it's, it's the bull who will not respond to its master telling it to go one way or the, the other. It straightens its neck, 
stiffens itself up and keeps going the direction that it wants to go, regardless of where it's being led. He said, this is the type of people that I'm dealing with. Now, now get away from me, Moses. Get out of here. Leave me alone because my anger is going to burn against them. And guess what? Then I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Now, now if I was Moses, this would have been an obvious temptation to be, because, because God making this declaration, man, listen, I'm going to just wipe them out and I'm going to start over with you. And, and I would have been like, oh, word? Oh, okay. That sounds like a mighty fine plan to me. Uh, because, because Moses would, I'm sure he would have been tempted to think about how this would benefit him personally and not be concerned about the larger kingdom purpose of what God had planned or promised. But the beautiful thing about Moses is that in this moment, even with the looming threat of destruction towards Israel, which, which would have been justified, Moses typifies what it looks like for God's people to have his character. Moses' response is a beautiful illustration of how God's people should think like God and how God's people should interact with God and how God's people should stand in the gap for other people who are wilding. Look, look, what, look, what, look, 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 look what Moses says. And this brings me to my second point, last point, then I'm out your way. Listen, God's grace and mercy. Oh, this is so beautiful. God's grace and mercy toward us is a direct response to his own character, not ours. Oh, listen, you, you, you don't got to tell me I'm preaching. I, listen, when God responds in mercy when God responds in grace to us, you, you have to know that God is not responding to you. God is responding to him. And you just get the benefit of how awesome he is, of how great he is, of how loving he is, of how kind he is, of how gentle he is, because he's all that and some more. But, but, I, but, but I, I love Moses' response because as, as timid as Moses claimed to be or, or earlier in the, in the book of Genesis, Moses lays out a three-point sermon for God. And he does it very respectfully and, and humbly. But as a preacher, as I'm walking through this, I'm like, man, Moses just preached the sermon. And Moses was all up in the text. And so, so, so God says, leave me alone. My anger is going to burn and I'm going to destroy them. And, 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 and Moses says, God, if I could have just but a minute of your time. I, I just want to lay out this three-point proposal, and, 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 and I'm going to tag the text, don't let your anger burn. And now, now what, what Moses is doing is Moses is providing a framework for an inductive sermon where he makes his point and then uses deductive arguments to argue why his point is valid. And so uh, uh, Moses starts off uh, by saying, God, in verse 11, don't nullify the demonstration of your great power. That's the first point that Moses says. He says, 
God, 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 if you destroy the people, then everything that you revealed about yourself when you overcame the gods in Egypt, when you freed your people by the work of your strong hand would have been for nothing. God, don't do it to them like that. Don't, don't, don't waste your energy and your time like that. Don't let all that you did and all that you revealed to yourself, what you were supposed to allow the people to remember generation after generation and tell their children how you freed them from bondage and how you freed them from slavery. God, don't let it go to waste. Then he, then he says, my second point, God, if, if you can give me but a little bit more time. He says, don't let the Egyptians, verse 12, don't let the Egyptians say that you had malicious intentions. He says, he says God, God, if you destroy them, God, what are the heathens going to say about you? What, what are the Gentiles going to say about What are the Egyptians going to say about you? They're going to say, oh, man, he just sent his people up there so he can destroy them. Because you know what that means? It means in their mind that you're no different from the gods that they're already accustomed to. They're already accustomed to having to placate to the gods of uh, vacillating emotions between day and night and appealing to their sensitivities. And, and God, you've already shown that you're not like that. So why even give them the right to say that you had evil intentions for your, for, for your people. And then, then Moses says, God, I, I know I've been preaching for a long time. And so let me wrap this up with my last point. And he says, he says if I could just make one last uh, 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 appeal to you, God. He says, he says, you swore, point number three, you swore it, God, on your name to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Now, now I, I don't know if you rush past that too quickly, but, but Moses says something very interesting here that I think we can't just walk over so quickly. Who did Moses say that God swore by? Because he sure enough didn't say that he swore based on Abraham's faith, based on uh, 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 Isaac's uh, obedience, based on uh, 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 Jacob's uh, obedience. He said, no, God, you swore to them on your name. He, he says, he says, you swore to them by yourself. He, he says, God, there's, there's something about the name that can be trusted. He said, there's, there's something about the name that, that, that is as solid as a rock. There's something about the name that can be depended on. He said, he said you, you have the type of character that people know, and you're developing the type of character with your people and with the heathen world that are watching your people and the God that they serve. They need to see that this God will not go back on his promise. And so Moses... In his sermon, he highlights what God has already done and what God said he would do and what people would say about him and why he should relent. See, Moses' plea is focused on preserving the distinctiveness of Yahweh's reputation. He says, God, 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 I, I know that you know that you're different from these other gods. But sometimes your people may forget, oh God, that you're not like them. That there is only one God of heaven who sits on high and looks low. So sometimes the rest of the world may not think that there's any difference between you and what they choose to construct as options for their worship. But Moses here 
is making it absolutely clear that he is primarily concerned with the name. He says, he says, he says, God, these people, they deserve to be destroyed. But what about the name? Yes, God, these people were quick to dismiss your your ways and your word. But what about your name? So Moses is giving us a, a he's, he's letting us take a little peek into the beauty of what it looks like for God's people to think beyond their personal benefits and to think about the impact of how we live and what it means for the name. Look how God responds in verse 14. It says, so the Lord relented concerning the disaster he said he would bring upon his people. That word relented does not mean that God changed his mind, but that he embarked on another course of action. Not that he changed his mind, but that he embarked on another course of action. This this is important because uh, some people will try to come to a text like this and say, well, well, God changed his mind. God doesn't know what he's doing. He's not all-knowing or God can be manipulated. But the truth is that God is not inflexible. God has always responded to the needs, attitudes, and actions of the individual and corporately to the people at large. It's interesting that you would come to a text and, and assume that when historically from the Bible, God's promises and warnings have always been conditional on man's response. And so here what we see is God, God, God knew how Moses was going to respond. And God knew that he wasn't going to break his promise because the moment that God breaks his promise against something he swore on himself, God no longer ceases. God ceases to be God. He no longer can uphold the, the righteous requirements of being holy the minute he becomes a liar. And so God just decides to take a different course of action based on how Moses, as representative for the people, responded to him on their behalf. See, God's change in response to the people didn't come because of anything that the people had done, but because of the one who stood in the gap and mediated on their behalf. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's a beautiful picture of the one who was prophesied to come who would be greater than Moses and greater than Abraham. The one who would ultimately stand in the gap between the perfect and the imperfect, between the righteous and the unrighteous. And it's interesting that the, the Lord, he, he warned Israel later on in, in chapter 32 and verse 34, he, that he, he warns them, gives them a warning that, that echoes very much to us today. He says, but on that day that I settle accounts, I will hold them accountable for their sin. And so Moses becomes a great picture of standing in the gap between God and the people Just like the one, this Jesus stands in the gap 
as the only one who has the name by which man can be pardoned for their sins. And so just as God warns the people, God is warning us today. There is coming a day where he will send his son, Jesus, to return and he will crack the sky open and he will settle accounts and he will hold us accountable for our sins. But let me be clear today. There is refuge and there is safety in the one whose name is above all names. In, a one, in the one whose name is lifted up and exalted. In the one whose name we will sing forever and ever and ever. For when we get there on that day, we will sing in unified chorus, worthy is the lamb who's been slain. And worthy is he to receive honor and glory and power forever and evermore. Amen. I'm going to invite you this morning. If you've never made a profession of faith in the name of Jesus Christ, then I invite you this morning to make a decision, a willful decision to put away all of your idolatry, to put away all of your pride, and to entrust yourself to the one who stands in the gap for you and for me, and in whose name we can find pardon for our sin. If that's you today, would you trust him? Would you believe him today? And would you place your faith and your confidence in him and in him alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you, oh God, that you have a name that is above every name, that your son Jesus' name is above every name. It's in his name that you call us to place our trust and our hope. Help us, oh God, to wait on you when, even when it feels like you're not there. Help us, oh God, from running to the cheap substitutes that we create in our hearts and in our minds to manufacture a false sense of peace and a false sense of your presence. Give us the strength and the wisdom, oh God, to stand firm in your word so that we can have the type of response that Moses has that shows that we have been influenced, impacted, and informed by the character of the God whom we are modeling our lives after. God, we thank you for the grace and the mercy that you show us, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done for us on our behalf that is culminated in Jesus going to the cross for us. For your word says that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. It's in him, O oh God, that we place our hope, our faith, and our trust. May your name and the name of your son, Jesus Christ, be glorified. And may we, your people, be edified this day. In Christ Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. People of God, 
We love you. God bless you. If you trusted Jesus Christ for salvation today, stay on. We would love to talk with you. We're going to have some information that's going to be important for you so that we can get in touch with you and make sure that you have everything you need. God bless. Grace and peace. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.